0: This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. I'm going to ask you a question today. How many of you would say, I've known someone in my life And I've seen it happen in front of me where sin has absolutely wrecked somebody's life. How many of y'all would say, I've seen that happen? Hands up everywhere. Hands up everywhere. I've seen somebody so addicted to a substance that over a period of years and years and years, their health began to deteriorate because of their need for a substance. I've seen people make tragic mistakes. I've sat down with couples and had to listen to a a wife tell another wife because there had been infidelity that there was a likelihood that this woman now had an STD because of this sin that had been there. I, I mean, I have seen lives devastated by sin. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what sin is to really get this conversation started. The first thing in your notes today is that sin is anything that deviates from the direction that Jesus points us in. Sin is anything that deviates from the direction that Jesus points us in. And most of us do not identify sin that way we identify sin as going the opposite direction of the way that God points us. It's not a slight angle off. That's that's okay because that's close. But sin is literally anything that deviates from the direction that God has pointed us in. To To be just a theologian with you for a moment, sin is that which is not obedience. All right. Whenever we are not being obedient, we are sinning. And the effects of sin in our lives are, are Devastating. Obviously, there is a consequence that is associated with sin. And and most of us have lived with a general understanding of resident sin that exists in our hearts since we were born. And we say things like this, there's no difference between sin, a big sin and a little sin. Well, there's a big difference in the consequences that are associated with different sins. I have literally seen families not capable of feeding their children because the dad was addicted to cocaine, okay? I mean, I have seen families be evicted from homes that they were renting because they were not responsible with their money and they bought too much stuff and were not paying their rent. There is a big difference between the consequence associated with that sin and the consequence of someone asking you if that is a Diet Coke or a regular Coke. Oh, it's, it's regular Coke. I don't drink diet drinks. What y'all talking about? Right. There's a difference between the associated behavior. And the consequences that are there. The ultimate consequence of sin is this. Is that we live lives that are separated from God. That is the ultimate consequence of sin. That we end up living lives that are separated from God. This morning I'm going to tell you a story about a friend of mine. This is one of the saddest stories that I could tell you. It will be, I have to kind of emotionally detach myself to tell this. Um, I'm going to show you a picture. This is a picture of um, Ricky and Hope. Ricky Ricky was the youth pastor at the church that I was on staff at. Hope is his daughter. Uh, Hope was, when I started and I was on staff, Hope was 11 years old, playing keyboard in our children's ministry. And as the worship leader in the church, I pulled her on stage and let her play on my worship team. And she played with me for six years. Um, Ricky made a decision, one decision. I learned so much through his life because the season when Hope was born, Ricky was in seminary and they had two small kids. He was working full time uh, on a third shift job to pay to go to seminary. And he made one decision that would end up wrecking his life. He decided I needed a break. I just need a break from all of this. It's, it, I, I just feel stretched, and pressed. I, I have too much stuff in my life right now. And so he faked an accident at work. He faked an accident, so when his boss came in in the morning, it looked like he had fallen down a set of stairs. And he went into the hospital. And they put him on oxycoding. And he got addicted to it. Before long, Ricky would be scheduling dinners with people that he knew had been sick because he would excuse himself during the dinner and go find their medicine cabinet and steal their medicine. His wife, Linda, who asked the permission to share the story, uh, was very aware of everything that was going on. And so in an effort to heal their family, they decided to leave Columbia at that point and moved to to Florida, where Ricky was working with an organization writing curriculum for student ministries. He's a phenomenal speaker and communicator. At this point, is traveling all over the country speaking in youth conferences. And while they're there, Ricky is found to have an inappropriate relationship with some other woman that was on staff with him. So again, to save their family, Linda... Packs up the family and they move back and that's when our church intersects with him and and we Ricky we, we were very well aware of the issues that were there, and uh, we were giving him counseling and helping him through this, but in one dark season, he just went back to what was familiar to him uh, just so happened that our One of our pastors on staff drove into a uh, convenience store and saw him in the middle of an exchange where he was picking up some medication. We approached him about it and ended up being the last straw. Their family ended up separating. Literally three years from that point, Ricky was dead, leaving two young daughters to a mom. I learned through his story that sin doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care how great you are. It doesn't care what kind of potential you have. Because honestly, he he had led hundreds of kids to the Lord. I mean, he was the youth pastor, literally at the largest church in our city. And it was one bad decision that caused him to step into a path that would deviate from the direction that God had pointed him into. One small decision that led to another one. And I learned through Ricky that were really all one or two bad decisions from being in a very dangerous place. And so I talked to Linda this week and asked her permission to share this story. And she said, the thing that I want you to know about where this story is right now, because Ricky died about two years ago, he had literally just wore his heart out. And she said, the thing that I want you to understand to share this is that God is still using this story for his good. I want you to see this next picture. This is where it's really tough because that's Hope on the left uh, leading worship at uh, Fellowship Church in Dallas, Texas. She just graduated from high school. She's leading worship at a C3 Conference, which is one of the largest conferences for pastors in the country. And that which the devil meant for evil, God is still using for good and And even though this very deadly decision was made, somehow in his family, God still is working. And I I want to leave you with that, but I want you to see this, that this is in your notes, that sin can be intentional or unintentional. That sometimes we make decisions that are are sinful and we don't, it's not the outright sinful decision that some of us know we make from time to time. Like I know this isn't wrong, but I do it anyway. But sometimes we get to that point where we make a decision and and it is thoroughly sinful, but it's completely unintentional. Because that morning when Ricky went and kicked a hole in the sheetrock and put sheetrock in his hair and laid down on the floor so his boss would find him. That moment, all he thought was, I need a break. I can't keep going at this pace. He had no idea what taking one step outside of the direction that God had pointed him into would do. And for us, in many ways, sin shows up in the context of people, places, and problems. And we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. So the question is what does moral margin look like? What does it mean to have moral margin in our lives? Well, if people are our problems, moral margin might mean that we understand which people or which types of people lead us into sin and we put the appropriate boundaries in place. If it is a place that we go and we identify the places that lead us to struggle, if it maybe perhaps is a problem for you, that we create the appropriate distance between us and the problem. I want to take a moment and read out of Galatians 5. Uh, I'm going to read on the screen with you because I've asked them to put this up in a different translation than I'm holding this morning. I'm going to read this out of the message. Galatians 5, 7 through 10. You were running superbly. Who cut in on you? Deflecting you from the true course of obedience. This detour doesn't come from the one who called you into the race in the first place. And please don't toss this off as insignificant. It only takes a minute amount of yeast, you know, to permeate the entire loaf of bread. Deep down, the master has given me confidence that you will not defect, but... The one who is upsetting you, whoever he is, will bear the divine judgment. Galatians 5, 7. This is in the context of Paul uh, addressing one of the worst membership induction ceremonies ever in the history of the church. They are dealing with the problem of them wanting to circumcise people when they become a part of their church. And... Paul said, No, let's not do that. Let's not. Y'all getting that one wrong. And that's funny because I'm gonna be honest with you, I would not join a church if they said, Yeah, oh, you signed the covenant. Mm-hmm. And now if you'll come in this room with me, no, I'm not going in there. I'm not doing that. Sorry. Look in this text. Paul is saying, You were you were running a race, you were going in a direction. God pointed you and you said, where? Okay, I'll go. But then you deviated a tiny bit. You changed course slightly. And, and let's just understand the context there. For a good Jew, right, to convert to Judaism, that was something that was normal and typical. But Paul is saying, no, the That slight deviation, that small turn is a lot like yeast. A little bit, a little bit infects the whole loaf. The truth is, is that there's a stark difference between the way our culture and our God looks at sin. There is a stark difference between the way our culture and our God looks at sin. Our culture will ask this question, how far can I go before it's sin? How far can I go? And we've all been there. Because most of us have dated someone and asked, all right, God, how, how much can we do, you know, before it really gets sinful? We used to have this, you know, all but, you know, what? I mean, how, where's the line that I can't cross? I want to get as close to that line. How far can I go until it is sinful? I've told you this before. I want to remind you of this again. If you ask the wrong question, you will get the wrong answer. If you ask, how far can I go before it becomes sin? You will get the wrong answer. That is not the right question to ask. But that is exactly the way our culture processes sin. Look at this with me, James 1.15. Then after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James 1.15. In this verse, we see this pattern. That desire leads to sin that leads to death. Desire leads to sin which leads to death. It starts with small. Small. It starts with desire. Not even the commitment to act, but the desire is where sin begins. Look at this Ephesians 5 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy presence. And in this verse, we seek God's standard that there must not even be a hint of deviation. You see, we're Too often asking the question, How close can I get before it becomes sin? And that's the wrong question because when we start out on that direction, we have already taken the first step into sin. You see, culture would define sin by all, not a lot. Okay, you haven't fully done that. You were just kind of almost there. You really, you know, if we look at it from this angle, you really weren't all the way there, so you're good. And God defines sin as a little. A hint. We must not even have a hint. And this is one of those talks that when you give this most of you are out there sitting there going what how this is I don't even know how I can this is so different than the way that we process life and I've said this so many times through this series I'm going to say it again if you want what normal people have do what normal people do if you want what normal people have do what normal people do If you want what this world has, do what this world does. But let's look around. What's normal? Divorce. Bankruptcy. Financially strapped. Walking the line morally. What's normal? If you want what normal people have, Do what normal people do. But if you want something that God has for you, you have to be willing to do something that perhaps normal people don't do. We have to accept that the first step in the journey is the exact same thing as the end of the journey. That the first stop on the train ride is the same train ride as the last stop of the train ride. And if we're on the wrong direction, if we have deviated from where God through Jesus Christ has pointed us to go. then we're living without moral margin. And the truth is, is that we need moral margin. We need to have margin that exists in our lives, that creates somewhat of a distance between the things that could wreck our lives and the things that should be sustaining and building our lives. So how do we create moral margin? How do we do that? How do we go about building moral margin into our lives? I'm going to give you the obvious guiding principle in all of this, okay? The guiding principle is that we need to put a boundary in between us and sin. You all have your own junk. You all have your own brand of crazy, all right? I know some of you, and it's a really funny brand, all right? I enjoy it. I just like to watch you hang out with people so I can enjoy your crazy, all right? But, um... We all have our own version of crazy. We all have our own brokenness. We all have our own struggle. And the th- moral margin is saying, all right, I- I'm not perfect. I'm not Superman. I can't do this on my own. i got to put some distance in between that thing and me. But for most of us, Sin shows up in people, places, and problems. So let's talk about those specifically today. Let's go through the first one, people. People. First thing to do to create moral margin if people is the place that you struggle, if relationships are difficult, or if there are certain people, is that we need to create relational distance between us and negative influencers. We need to create relational distance between us and negative influencers. What I mean by relational distance is that you don't hang out with them all the time. You don't answer their texts. You click unsubscribe on Facebook. Not defriend them. You don't have to do that. You don't have to see anything they put. Just unsubscribe right there. They won't even be in your news feed anymore. You don't have to know what they're doing or anything. Create relational distance between you and negative influencers. Those people who have a negative influence in your life. And for some of us, this will look two different ways. For some of us, negative influencers are the people who tempt us to do things that we shouldn't do. All right? We have those friends that their life is centered around something that is broken and sinful. And they we love them. I enjoy being around them, but every time I get around them, they want to do something that's stupid and broken. And I have a lot of fun, but then the next morning, I'm just totally upset and regret what I did. And wish I hadn't acted that way. All of those feelings. And we also have those people that are in our lives that are the downers, right? Right? Those people, you cannot be around without leaving them and going, I feel like I need to take a shower right now because of all the negativity that just got dumped all over me, right? We don't want to be those people, right? And we don't want to be around those people. That's the truth. It doesn't mean that you can't love them, but we have to create relational distance because what happens when those people get close? They hurt you. Those people that are negative influencers lead us into places that are sinful. Here's the next question for you to answer. Answer this question honestly. Who can I not be alone with? Who can I not be alone with? And what's really absurd is most of us have never answered that question honestly. We've never said, you know what, really, I don't think I should be alone with this person at work. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. And some of it's because we feel so confident in our, our, our spiritual kind of strength. That I, I'm, I'm, a good, I'm a good person. I'm not going to do, do anything wrong. I'm, I've got this down. Right? But see, moral margin isn't because like I I have to have it or if I get past this line, you know, I know it's that line, but moral margin is something that I want to live inside. Not that if I got alone with that person, I'm going to, you know, do something that's inappropriate. It's really to guard me in my heart and to make sure that functionally I'm honoring the people that I should. So there's some things about me that I've decided, all right? Most women, I'm not gonna be alone with, all right? I will hang out with my mom all day by herself, just me and her, right? I'll rock that day all day long, all right? And some of y'all, okay, especially married ladies, okay, you may notice that when I send you a text message, I send it to you and to your husband, all right? You know why? Because I want to honor your husband. I don't want to have a conversation that's alone, all right? I don't, we have to ask that question, who can I be, uh, who can I not be alone with, To be honest with you, I've had several friends that got caught up in extramarital affairs at work. If they would have asked that question honestly, they would have never got there because that's where it all started. They just let themselves be alone with somebody they should have never been alone, and then they took that first step, and then they took the second step, and then they took the. No. So we want to put a boundary that keeps us from the potential of even taking the first step. Who can I not be alone with? For those of you that are single, teenagers, those of you who might be entering into a dating relationship, i want going to give you a couple rules that I would consider to create some margin morally in your relationships. The first one is I would like to call it the four on the floor rule. Okay, In music, we have a term for four on the floor. It's a, a straight four beat and it's just that straight punch But when I'm talking about four on the floor right now, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about four feet always on the floor. Four feet always on the floor. Because let's be honest, it's tough to do something stupid when everybody's feet are always going to be on the floor. That means that when it comes time to go, you know, you want to cuddle, it's pretty much impossible to cuddle with four feet on the floor. The next thing in there is to, for dating relationships, to establish healthy physical boundaries. When I was in college, the, one of the ministry teams that I traveled with did a, a drama skit and, uh, and the whole premise of it was this, this guy and this girl who were struggling with making out and... Uh, at the end of it, they said the same, the same line that I said earlier, that it's the same train ride, it's just a different stop. That What, what they were doing, what they were uh, acting like that they were doing is the same train ride, it's just a different stop. And what's really difficult to communicate in, in our culture is that God put those boundaries not to keep you from having fun but to protect you. To protect you, not just physically, but to protect you emotionally, socially, to not, especially young women, to not get you in a position where you were extremely vulnerable to someone. And God put those things into position in our lives, this plan for us. And the plan is quite simple, that we stay pure until marriage. That sex is only designed to be in the confines of marriage. That is God's plan. And so for a dating relationship, it is establish healthy physical boundaries. The next thing, places, we need to learn to identify and avoid dangerous places. Now, that seems pretty simple, and this is probably the most straightforward of them. Uh, but there, there are men that I have known. Uh, I, I'll give you an example of one. He was a truck driver, and his, his hang up was even though the majority of the time he didn't, didn't go there, there was a, a strip club that was right next to a gas station, and he would stop frequently at that gas station. And when we would get there, he would start with the mental wrestling of, should I go, should I not go, should I? And you know, the thing is, is that the the wise decision is to say, don't go to that place at all. Don't go to that place at all. Some people, it's that we go to places intentionally to seek out attention, uh, perhaps a bar or a club or something like that. And the attention that we want is primarily negative. We have to be able to be wise about who we are and identify the place that would lead to sin. And the last thing is problems. And I think that it's a moment where we should just all be honest about the fact that we have things that are in our lives that are issues. We all do. We all have things that are difficult for us to master and get past. Paul called it, as we looked at uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, a thorn in the flesh, this thing that has always been around that I can't get past. But to create margin in our lives in those areas, we need to be willing to have honest, honest, and accountable relationships with people that love us that we can turn to. We have people that we're honest about what we struggle with, whether it's as simple as gossip or whether it's as devastating as an addiction. We need to be honest about those things. And with these problems, we need to be aware that we must guard our eyes, our mind, and our heart. Look at this verse, Proverbs 4, 23. Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, because your heart will determine the course of your life. And so we have to protect that heart. In Deuteronomy 6, as Moses is rehashing and retelling the story of getting the Ten Commandments, he drops what is considered, even by Jesus as he was alive, the most significant commandment in all the Old Testament. It's this In Deuteronomy 6, 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Moral margin is about saying, God, I want to give you all of that. My heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, everything that is me, I want it to be completely yours I don't want there to be a a hint of me that is devoted in another direction a slight deviation I don't want there to be even a hint of that because I've never known anyone who got to the end of their story and said you know what I wish I hadn't put those boundaries in place I wish I hadn't understood where I was weak and helped myself avoid bad situations. I've never known anyone get, but I have known people to get to the end of their story and say, I never thought this would happen to me. I never thought this would happen to me. You know what? I regret what happened because I have heard that and again I want you to understand that there is no condemnation in this message this isn't somebody standing up on a high horse looking down on anybody this is me saying that I I need this as well I need moral margin in my life to keep me from taking the first step that deviates from a plan that God has already set forth in my life. So let's pray. God, today, we just humbly come before you recognizing that you, God, have been so Ridiculously generous to us. So faithful, so honoring, and good. And today, God, as we sit here, many of us maybe be right now, maybe we are considering and identifying areas in our lives that do not have margin. And because sin is so devastating. God, you have set a standard that is very high. And the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. Every one of us in this room has sinned and fallen short of your glory. And so what happened? You sent your son out of your great love for us to die so that we Don't have to be perfect. That he can be perfect. That we don't have to live the perfect life. That he can live the perfect life that then can come alive in us. So God, don't let us look today backward on our failures with regret. Let us look to you today with hope. And understanding that even for me, God, that you can come and set us free. Got to live in the freedom of having margin between us and stuff that would destroy our lives. So today, I'm just going to ask everybody to keep your head bowed and I just want to ask a very simple question. If you would identify with the statement today that Sin is destructive, and I look at my life, and I feel like, as I sit here today, that I see sin destroying my life. if If I'm honest, if I'm honest and just was going to be very vulnerable between you and God right now, if you look at your life right now, do you see sin destroying your life? If that's you, and you recognize that you don't want to live that way anymore, that you don't want to be the person that at the end of the story says, I regret, I never thought that this would happen. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? That's, wow. Is there anybody else? Anybody else that would like to say that I just, I want want what God has for me. I'm tired of this broken mess that I've made. Is there anybody else? I see those hands. Let me pray for you. God, today. While sin is utterly destructive, we know that your grace is much stronger than sin ever could be. And so God, today through your great power, for those lives, the hands that raised their, or the lives that raised their hands today, God, would you come and put them together? Lead them and guide them and pour your life and spirit into them so that, God, that they would walk out not destroyed by sin, but put together by grace. And do it for your good, for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.